You are listening to Rock and Roll Flashback with your hosts, Jumpin' John McDermott and Bill Price. Welcome to Rock and Roll Flashback. I'm Jumpin' John McDermott, and we'll be looking back at some of rock and roll's greatest artists, songs, and stories. Today we will discuss the role and influence of one of the greatest collections of session musicians ever assembled, The Wrecking Crew. So sit back and have a listen to The Wrecking Crew Part 1. Growing up in the 1960s in the USA, I was addicted first to AM Top 40 radio and later to FM radio. Knowing that the Beatles played their own instruments on their recordings, I, like countless other music fans, assumed that all other bands were also playing on their recordings. Sure, I realized that the artists on American Bandstand were lip-syncing and air-guitaring their music, but the assumption was that all bands were nevertheless accomplished musicians with top 40 hits. However, unbeknownst to most fans, myself included, there was a loose collection of ever-changing Los Angeles-based session musicians who were playing anonymously in the background of many of the top hits of the day. These musicians were employed for thousands of studio recordings in the 1960s and 1970s, including several hundred top 40 hits. The musicians were viewed with reverence by industry insiders and are now considered to have been one of the most successful and prolific session recording units in music history. They are now referred to as the Wrecking Crew. Most of the players associated with the Wrecking Crew had formal backgrounds in jazz or classical music. The group had no official name in its active years, and it remains a subject of contention whether or not they were really referred to as the Wrecking Crew at the time. Drummer Hal Blaine popularized the name in his 1990 memoir, attributing it to older musicians who felt that the group's embrace of rock and roll was going to wreck the music industry. Other names associated with these session musicians at the time were The Click and The First Call Gang. The Wrecking Crew's contributions to so many hit recordings went largely unnoticed, but their revolving door of participants reads like a who's who of great musicians. Bassist Ray Pullman, the aforementioned drummer Hal Blaine, guitarist and bassist Carol Kay, a female member, keyboardist Leon Russell, guitarist Glenn Campbell, drummer Earl Palmer, saxophonist Steve Douglas, guitarist Tommy Tedesco, keyboardist Larry Nechtel, and many more. Drummer Hal Blaine alone is credited with drumming on more than 140 top 10 hits, including approximately 40 number one hits. The entire wrecking crew was inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in 2007. In 2008, they were the subject of the documentary The Wrecking Crew, which was put together by Tommy Tedesco's son. 
Back in the 1960s, the Wrecking Crew played on hit records by artists such as Ike and Tina Turner, Glenn Campbell, Jan and Dean, Righteous Brothers, the Beach Boys, the Ronettes, the Everly Brothers, the Mamas and Papas, the Fifth Dimension, Frank Sinatra, Nancy Sinatra, and Sonny and Cher. They worked very closely with Phil Spector and helped create his wall of sound production style. At the time, multi-tracking equipment was less elaborate, and instrumental backing tracks were often recorded hot with an ensemble playing live in the studio. Musicians had to be available on call when producers needed a part to fill a last-minute time slot. Los Angeles was then considered the top recording destination in the United States. Consequently, studios were uh, constantly booked around the clock, and session time was highly sought after and expensive. Songs had to be recorded quickly in the fewest possible takes. In this environment, L.A. producers and record executives had little patience for needless expense or wasted time, and it really depended on the service of reliable standby a-list musicians. And these talented folks could be counted on to record in a variety of styles with minimal practice or takes, and they really delivered hits on short order. So the Wrecking Crew were essentially the go-to session musicians in Los Angeles during this era. Uh, really, the session musicians had to be musically versatile as they were used in almost every style of recording, including uh, television theme songs, film scores, advertising jingles, and many genres of American popular music, music all the way from the Monkees to Bing Crosby. Uh, some of the L.A. recording studios in which the Wrecking Crew regularly appeared were Gold Star Studios, United Western Recorders, Capitol Records Studios, Columbia Records, and the RCA Recording Facility. Like all session musicians who worked in Los Angeles, the Wrecking Crew's members belonged to the American Federation of Musicians, AFM, Local 47, which represented their interests in areas uh, such as pay scale and enforcement of regulations. Uh, back in 1962, Phil Spector recorded the song He's a Rebel, which was credited to the Crystals. Spector enlisted the aid of his high school friend, saxophonist Steve Douglas, who was also working as a contractor in charge of recruiting musicians for recording sessions. Douglas ended up uh, helping him obtain the backing unit, and they booked Studio A at Gold Star Studios, known for its echo chambers, which became really the preferred recording facility for Spectre. And we'll be addressing Gold Star Studios in a future podcast. Uh, the unit became an essential component in developing his wall of sound style, starting with He's a Rebel and a series of several more hits by the Crystals, such as the Do Ron Ron and Then He Kissed Me, and by the Ronettes, songs like Be My Baby and Baby I Love You. It was on these recordings that the Wrecking Crew really emerged in their most recognizable form. They became the most coveted session players in Los Angeles's thriving recording scene. With them, uh, Spectre went on to produce other records by the Righteous Brothers, such as You Lost That Loving Feeling, Ebb Tide, and Unchained Melody, 
and by Ike and Tina Turner, such as River Deep Mountain High. The Wrecking Crew also worked with dozens of other producers, such as Brian Wilson, Terry Melcher, Lou Adler, Bones Howe, Jimmy Bowen, and Mike Post. As side players, they were teamed with Jan and Dean, Bobby V, Nancy Sinatra, The Grassroots, Simon and Garfunkel, Glenn Campbell, The Partridge Family, David Cassidy, The Carpenters, John Denver, and Nat King Cole. The session musicians often worked long hours, but they were paid exceedingly well. Carol Kay once said, I was making more money than the president. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys used Wrecking Crew's talents extensively in the mid-1960s, including on such songs as Help Me Rhonda, California Song, the California Girls, and Good Vibrations, as well as several of their album projects of the period. Uh, this included Pet Sounds and the original sessions for Smile. Members of the Wrecking Crew served as ghost players on the first single by The Birds, Mr. Tambourine Man. Because Columbia Records and producer Terry Melcher did not feel that the group, except for guitarist Roger McGuinn, uh, who ended up playing guitar on the single, but didn't feel that they were seasoned enough to deliver the kind of perfect take needed, particularly in light of the limited time and budget allocated. So this newly signed and unproven group, The Birds, this is how they were able to get their start was with the backing of the Wrecking Crew. And, of course, at the time, the label's just beginning to embrace rock and roll. Lou Adler was one of Los Angeles' top music executives and produced records by acts such as Jan and Dean and the Mamas and Papas. And these records were often backed by the wrecking crew, such as on California Dreamin' and Monday Monday by the Mamas and Papas. Bones Howell had worked as an engineer under Adler and used the wrecking crew when he produced hits by the association, including uh, Windy, Everything That Touches You, and Never My Love, and also hits by The Fifth Dimension, including Up, Up, and Away, Stone Soul Picnic, and Aquarius. Sonny and Cher recorded several Wrecking Crew-backed hits. Jimmy Bowen produced Frank Sinatra's Stranger in the Night in 1966, and Mike Post produced Mason Williams' 1968 Classical Gas, both of them were backed by members of the Wrecking Crew. Crew members backed the Everly Brothers, and Rick Nelson used many Wrecking Crew members in various combinations. By the late 1960s, popular music was evolving, and accession musicians gradually became less in demand. Top 40 radio gradually began to lose step with the times. Richard Harris's seven-minute-long hit, MacArthur Park, which was written by Jimmy Webb and featuring the Wrecking Crew's backing, actually worked to the detriment of session musicians. With lengthier songs making the radio playlist, it left fewer minutes during each hour for a station to play other songs. With fewer songs finding airtime, there gradually evolved a diminishing number of rock and roll recording dates for the Wrecking Crew to play on. Also, rock groups began stipulating in their recording contracts that they'd be allowed to play their own instruments on records. By the mid-1970s, technological advances such as 16-track and 24-track tape recording machines and the automated um, 
large format multi-channel consoles made it viable for instruments to be recorded. And it also reduced the need to hire ensembles to play live in the studio. Synthesizers could approximate the sound of practically any instrument. Eventually, drum machines would become the norm, which would be specially programmed to keep beats in place of a drummer or be used for click tracks played in musicians' headphones. This all made it easier to overdub or re-record any part in sync and achieve a more uniform and consistent tempo. Hence, less need for these session musicians to perform it in one fell swoop. So, really, in summary, the Wrecking Crew did uh, several years backing dozens of popular acts and were one of the most successful groups of studio musicians in music history. According to Kent Hartman, and I quote, if a rock and roll song came out of an L.A. recording studio from between about 1962 and 1972, the odds are good that some combination of the wrecking crew played the instruments. No single group of musicians has ever played on more hits in support of more stars than this superbly talented yet virtually anonymous group of men and one woman, end quote. You have been listening to Rock and Roll Flashback. This has been Rock and Roll Flashback, a look at the Wrecking Crew Part 1. Stay tuned for the upcoming podcast, The Wrecking Crew Part 2. I'm Jumpin' John McDermott. And until next time, rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on.